Good morning, church. My name is Brian Guy. I'm the next-gen pastor here at First Baptist. I'm really excited. We're going to be continuing our series in Mark this morning. And so we're going to be um, looking at something really, I think, just pertinent to our lives. And before we get there, I wanted to ask you a question. Have you ever just been completely oblivious to, to what is happening around you? Anyone? Just completely oblivious? Now let me ask you this. Uh, do you have anyone in your life who is frequently completely oblivious to what is around them. Don't raise your hand. I don't want you sleeping on the couch tonight, okay? So uh, in my early 20s, I, I worked in EMS. If you don't know what EMS is, it's emergency medical services. So when you call 911 and you need an ambulance, that's, that's emergency medical services. So I did that during my early 20s. I did it for about four years, and most of that time I was up in, in Fresno, Clovis area. And what's cool about large areas like that, like metropolitan areas, is that you're more inclined to, um, this sounds bad, but have more action, if you will. Like you go to EMT school and you're just dreaming of the day that like you get to use your skills. And so working in a, in a heavily populated area like Fresno Clovis, I was really excited. And so I'm in my early 20s and I, I just started working. And I'm lowest on the totem pole, which means I'm working weekend nights because no one wants to work weekend nights. And so I'm on the ambulance, and uh, I'm, I, have a, I have a partner, and all of a sudden, we, we leave the hospital and we start traveling to a post. It's the, the company I worked for had posts all over Fresno Clovis. And so we're driving to one of our posts. And then on the radio, we hear, like, uh, Medic 159, Priority 1, Vehicle versus Pedestrian. And, and we're both like, okay, okay, here's some action. That sounds terrible, right? But we're like, yes, we get to use our skills. And we get really excited. And then we look at the map, and because uh, dispatch sends it to our computer. And typically, uh, when it's vehicle versus pedestrian, it's, it's on like a city road because people never look at pedestrians when they're making a right-hand turn and it's red. They always see if they have oncoming traffic. Anyways, so it's on the highway. It's on Highway 168. And we're like, that can't be right. So my medic gets on. He's like, hey, uh, Medic 159, confirming location. They said, yeah, that's right. It's on 168 eastbound. It's between these two exits. And we're like, interesting. Okay. So we flip on our lights and we start heading over there. And before I continue, does anyone get squirmy with, with blood and guts? And it's okay. Um, so there'll be a point where I might say, hey, plug your ears for 30 seconds. But anyways, it's pertinent. Okay. I promise. And so we, we, we drive as quickly as we can. We get there. And sure enough, there, there's a man lying, I mean, he's on the side of the road now, but he's lying there, and CHP's there, fire beat us to the scene, as always, and so um, they're, they're helping this guy out, and we get out, and, and, and this guy's in critical condition, critical condition. So what happened was, um, he, unfortunately, he had a, a drug problem, and he, he was high on meth at the time, and he was picking up cans on the side of the freeway, when he thought he saw a can on the freeway and decided to walk out there. Well, freeways are dark, um, and the person driving didn't see him, and unfortunately, uh, they couldn't stop in time. And so this vehicle traveling at least 65 uh, in the middle of the night hit this guy dead on, and he was in critical condition. This is where you might want to plug your ears if you get squirmy. Um, this guy, when we got there, I look at him, and... His feet are barely hanging on there. I'm not going to go into detail, but his feet are barely hanging on. I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. Um, that wasn't so bad, right? If someone's plugging there, just, just shake them. It's, it's not that bad. So, anyways, uh, 
I get there, and we're trying to help him. And this guy, he's not in his right mind. He's like, get off me, get off me. I'm fine, I'm fine. We're like, dude, you're not fine. Like, you're going to die if we don't help you. And he's like, I'm good, I'm good. Guys, why are you, what are you doing here? It's, it's fine, let me go. And we're trying to help this guy. And, and he's yelling at us. He's like, look, I'm just going to get going. I'm just, don't worry about me. And we're like, dude, if you try to stand up right now, you're going to fall over. Like, you don't have anything to stand up on. And he's just completely oblivious to, to what's happening. And he's yelling at us, leave me alone, leave me alone. I'm going to go. It's all good. And we're like, dude, you, you, don't, you don't understand. And here, here's my point, is this guy did not understand the reality that was before him. And the story that we're about to jump into in Mark 14, it shows us the difference between two people, two types of people, who are, one is aware, completely aware of, of their environment, of what's happening, and, and the other group is completely oblivious. And so with that, we're going to be jumping into Mark chapter 14 as we continue through, uh, through the gospel this morning. Now, if you have your Bibles, please open up to Mark 14. If you don't know where that is, no problem. Uh, open up the table of contents. You'll see two major sections. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is everything before Jesus came. And the New Testament is the life of Jesus and the start of the church. Since we're talking about Jesus, we are in the New Testament. Mark is in the New Testament. When you get there, large numbers are the chapters, smaller numbers are the verses. So we're in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be covering verses 1 through 11 this morning. Now, to walk away with the best understanding of this text, I want to explain a few things first. The first one, Mark is a very intentional um, storyteller. And, and he's very intentional in his story because he's trying to show that Jesus is the Messiah who is ushering in the kingdom of God. So because of that, Mark includes specific stories that highlight this thesis. At the same time, he omits specific details that other authors might include. And he does this to point us in a, in a very guided direction. So because of that, it, it's not really helpful for us to compare and to, con to contrast Mark's account of this story with, let's say, because John records it as well. We, we should not compare and contrast them because Mark is including specific details to guide us toward a specific uh, purpose, where John's doing the same thing. That's why he included specific details. So we, we don't really want to compare and contrast because this fits into the, the greater narrative of Mark. So um, with that, as we explore this passage, we might, we might want to ask ourselves a couple questions. First, why, what was the purpose of, of this story in the text? Like, what purpose does it play? And also, how does it point us to Jesus being the Messiah and being uh, ushering in the kingdom of God? So that's the first thing that we want to keep in mind. The second is that chapter 14 marks the beginning of the passion. So the passion is just this... This, um, this way of viewing the suffering and the death of Jesus. And we're starting that today. And if, if you're like me, if you're type A, you like an outline, you can think of Mark um, as, as sort of three acts. You have Jesus' ministry in and around Galilee. Then you have, in, in Act 2, you have Jesus going from Galilee to Jerusalem. And then in Act 3, we have what's taking place in Jerusalem. So this is the very start of Act 3, the, the start of the Passion and what's interesting is that 
the first 80% of Mark's gospel is, is spanning about almost three years of Jesus' life. That's the first 80%. The last 20% of Mark's gospel is only a few days. So Mark, he's saying this is very important. And it's, it's really heavy, but it's, it's also really, really important, really good. So with that, let's jump into Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be verses 1 through 11. We'll break down the text as we go, okay? So starting in verse 1, Mark writes, Now the Passover and festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. So what, what's the Passover? What's the festival of unleavened bread? Let's pause for a moment. So um, these were two holidays, two festivals, two feasts that flowed right into one another. Uh, the Passover starts it all. And the Passover was, and I think today is still, the most important holiday for the Jews. Uh, if you recall, Israel was enslaved in Egypt, and God delivered them. And the way he did that was Israel made a, a sacrifice, and they put blood over their homes. And God was bringing judgment over Egypt, but he would pass over their homes, save Israel, um, judge Egypt. And uh, anyways, it's a beautiful story of liberation. It's in Exodus if you want to check it out. But that's the Passover. It's very important for, for the Jews. And then you have the festival of unleavened bread. And that starts immediately. It just flows right in the very next day. And it lasts seven days. And what's interesting about these holidays is the law, the Mosaic law, requires for males who are able and who are ceremonially clean, they have to attend these holidays. So when, this, uh, when these festivals are starting, when these holidays are starting, uh, Jerusalem is overflowing with people. It's like five times the normal population size that's in Jerusalem at this time. So that, those are the, the festivals that are taking place. And then we, we've talked about it before, but there's also a couple groups of people that are involved here. We have the, uh, the chief priests and we have the teachers of the law. So priests were, were given the, the responsibility and also the authority to perform the rites of Israel's religion. And with that, the chief priests were the top, top. They were in charge of the priests. And they were very important in society. They had a, a high social standing. And with that, the teachers of the law, these are scribes. These are people who are fluent in the Mosaic law because they have to write, they have to write down and make copies of the law over and over and over um, for different teachers. And so they're very fluent in the law. Um, they're seen as the scholars of society. They have a high place, just like the chief priests. And so these are some people who are really, really important in society who are now scheming to kill Jesus. And what's really cool about Mark is, as a story, he gives us uh, insight into what they're thinking, into what they're plotting. And notice um, that there's, they are conspiring to kill Jesus, but they're waiting for the right time. They said, not during, not during these holidays, not during these festivals. Why? Not because that would, um, that would look really bad on holidays, that, it would, it would have, that would be a bad look for them but mostly because if they did it, people would riot and probably they would, that would be their demise. 
So it's very selfish. It's not for the sanctity of the holiday. It's for their own preservation. And so we have this massive festival that is starting the next day. Because that phrase, that when it says uh, in two days, that's actually an expression that really means the next day. It just doesn't translate well. So this, this festival is starting the next day, and these religious elite are plotting to kill Jesus. Just not yet. So let's continue in the story. We're picking up in verse 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to, to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Bethany is a, is a town that is located southeast of Jerusalem, and it actually sits on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So Mount of Olives is sort of between these two. And uh, what's really fascinating is that Mark, uh, Mark includes the name of Simon the leper, but he, did you notice he didn't include the name of the woman? Now, I think this is intentional. It's, it's not to dismiss the woman. That's not, that's not why. I think for two reasons. I think Mark included the name of the, of the man so that way anyone could go and ask him, hey, is this story true? Instead of saying, hey, Simon, who's Simon? It's like Simon the leper. He's probably not a leper anymore. Jesus probably healed him. Otherwise, they need to all get out of that room. But he's, where's Simon the leper? I want to ask him about this story. Mark said this happened. Is this true? I think that's why Mark included that name. I think he omitted on purpose the woman's name so that we would focus in on her actions and not so much on her necessarily. We want to look at her actions. What, who are, what do her actions tell us? What, what, where is Mark guiding us by looking at her actions? Because sometimes we get so focused on people, we tend to, to idolize them a little too much. And Mark's like, look at her actions. So what do her actions tell us? Well, Jesus' response to the men gives us some insight. Silly men. Let's, let's look at what, what uh, he has to say to them. Verse 6. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why, why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So this woman's act of, of pouring perfume on, on Jesus' head tells us two things. One, that she has eyes to see and she has ears to hear. This has been a common theme throughout all of Mark's gospel. Do, do we have eyes to see and ears to hear that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is who he says he is? Because there are so many people who have spent time with Jesus, years with Jesus, and they still don't get it. Jesus has told his disciples three times, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back to life. He's told them three times, they don't get it. They don't. 
It isn't until Jesus comes back to life that they're like, oh, okay, that's that's what you meant. I got you. So there are people present with Jesus. They don't see who he is. But this woman, she does. She knows exactly who Jesus is and what he's about to endure. She has eyes to see. She has ears to hear. And what this woman does is she has anointed Jesus. Anoint, what an anointing is. So there were three types of anointing. There, there, was, um, there was a medical, there was a medical anointing, there was a sacred anointing, and then there was an ordinary anointing. This is an ordinary anointing. So like if, if someone was throwing a party, they would anoint their guests out of respect and out of honor. Another uh, example is this right here, burial. Burial is an ordinary anointing. It's, it's, it's some sort of pouring on of oil or of some sort of perfume or fragrance. And when someone was to be buried, that's what you would do. And the thing is, you would wait until after they've died. You typically wouldn't walk up to someone and say, I'm going to anoint you for burial. That's, I think that might be a premeditative murder. Here, there's reason for it. As we, if you've read the gospel before, the good news of Jesus, and you, and you see the ending, there are, there, no one has access to Jesus' body after his death. So while the typical custom would be, after death, you anoint them with a perfume, God has somehow showed this woman, that's not going to be possible. And so, out of faith, she anoints him beforehand, to prepare him for what he is about to endure. So that's the first thing. This woman, her act of of pouring perfume, of anointing Jesus, shows that she has eyes to see and ears to hear. The second one, her self-sacrificial act is a symbol of what Jesus is about to do on the cross. So let's soak in the great and costly sacrifice that this woman made for Jesus. She poured out more than an entire year's salary to anoint Jesus. Let's put this into perspective. If this happens today, the, the annual minimum wage salary for, for a yearly salary would be $32,240. So at minimum, this woman has poured more than $32,240 on Jesus' head to anoint him. aside from whether or not that is fiscally responsible to have that much in perfume, is, is beside the point. The point is, this is a major financial sacrifice of hers. Last week, think about it, last week, Pastor Peter was talking about how God wants all of you, all of you, not just your money, all of you. And we looked at the, the widow and, and, and her offering at the temple, right? And she gave all that she had Jesus is like, that is so much more than what someone gave, gave out of abundance. And then here, it's, it's not by accident that these parallel. This woman is, is giving a huge financial sacrifice to Jesus. And you see the difference is that the widow gave her offering to a temple that would be destroyed. But this woman gave her offering to Jesus who would never be destroyed. The temple that would live forever. 
So this woman's act of pouring perfume on Jesus tells us that she has eyes to see, ears to hear, and it's a symbol of what Jesus is about to do on the cross. That is what Mark is trying to show us through her actions. So let's wrap up this passage and say, okay, how, does this, how is this alive to me today? Let's, let's check out verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Notice that this passage started with the religious elite plotting to kill Jesus, and it ends with one of Jesus' disciples working with them to, to turn him over to be killed. Sort of like a sandwich, right? And also notice the, the contrast between the woman and, and Judas. The woman gave a financial sacrifice to Jesus, and Judas is turning over Jesus. He's sacrificing Jesus for financial gain. This is what I mean when I say Mark is like this, this intricate writer. When I tell you that everything that he included was intentional and that it serves a purpose, I truly mean it. So as we saw that there are so many ways that this story ties into various themes or it ties into different um, parts of Mark's gospel, we have to ask ourselves, okay, what, what is it that we can really learn from this? We see that Jesus is the Messiah. He's ushered in the kingdom of God. But what does that mean for me today? What does this woman's sacrifice mean for me today? If you walk away with anything, walk away with this. This woman had a divine understanding of the reality before her, and she acted on it. She knew that the person before her was Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who, who would come to crush sin and death, the one who gives life, the one who lifts up the lowly and restores the broken. That is who is before her. And knowing that, and also knowing what is about to come, what is about to happen to him, that he would suffer, that he would die, she was prepared to make a great sacrifice on his behalf, before his suffering and before his death. So who are you in this story? Who is it that you're relating to most? Are you sitting around the table with Jesus, not truly knowing who he is? And I get it. It can be really, really easy to show up here week after week but not really have faith. Maybe you come because you're trying to impress your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe your spouse drags you along and it's easier to just spend an hour here than it is to argue about you staying home. Maybe you've grown up in the church but you never really had your own faith. It's just something you've always done. And so you've gone through the motions. And now, Sunday mornings, this is what you do. You, you come to church. Or are you pouring more than a year's salary of perfume over Jesus because he is the Messiah? 
Do you have eyes to see and ears to hear? Are you in tune with God's spirit and recognizing him at work in your life? And here's the thing. It's okay to say yes. This is introspection time. We're not bragging here. It's just self-check. Where am I? Here's the problem. This is very black and white, right? Like I just made a very uh, contrasting, um, like pick one or the other. But the reality is we often live in the gray. I bet most of us would say we're somewhere in between. Maybe you've had an encounter with God and your eyes have been open to who he is and, and you have chosen to follow him. But somewhere down the line, life has just gotten in the way. Maybe things have just gotten really busy. You start to have kids, and next thing you know, you're, you're driving them to sports every day, right? Or you're driving them to school, or maybe, I, I get it. Schedules get busy. And it can be hard to see God in the midst of all of it. And I just want to tell you something. You're not alone. I imagine that is the story for so many people. But here's what I want to tell you. God has so much more in store for you. What made this woman's story so beautiful was that she had a divine understanding of the reality that was before her, the moment that she was living in. So if you're in that camp of people who have faith, but God has felt lost in in this sea of life, I want you to take a moment and let this sink in. Your life is filled with God's presence all around you. You see, your your kids that God has entrusted you with and that you take care of every day and that they tend to get on your nerves sometimes. You see, God has divinely placed them in your life for you to take care of them and for you to teach them about Jesus. The job that you go to every morning, God has divinely placed you there because there is someone who needs to experience the love of God through your actions and hear the gospel through your words. The parent at the grocery store in front of you who just looks like they've they've had the worst day of their lives and their kids on the ground throwing a tantrum, God's put you there to give encouragement to that parent. And to the grandparents, who are sitting at their kids' baseball games, swim meet, whatever it is, God has put you there to be able to share with the people next to you what God has done in your life. My prayer is that you will begin to have a divine understanding of the reality before you, but not end there. Act on it. So here are a few things that I think might help with that. First, begin each morning just by dedicating yourself to God. That might sound silly. It might be something you've just never done. Consider it. When you wake up in the morning as your day is starting, just just simple prayer. God, I give you my life. Whatever you have in store today. As um, the pastors um, for... Pastors here, we've been going through Dallas Willard's uh, Renovations of the Heart together. And so one of the things Dallas gives us insight into is how he started his day. 
And he wrote this, and I found it really helpful. I hope it'll be helpful for you. He said, personally, at the beginning of the day, often before rising, I commit my day to the Lord's care. Usually I do this while meditatively praying through the Lord's Prayer and possibly the 23rd Psalm as well. Here's the important part. He says, then I meet everything that happens as sent or at least permitted by God. I meet it resting in the hands of his care. Because he has started his day by just giving it to God, that changed everything. Every encounter he has is a divine appointment for him to step into. I'm here to tell you, God's setting up these divine appointments for you. It's whether or not you're seeing them. Second one, something that will help is to include the Holy Spirit in decision-making. Just throughout your day, Holy Spirit, help. What does it, how should I approach this? And it might seem silly, but it could be even the, the most minuscule task. Like maybe you need to, well, maybe not minuscule, but maybe, maybe you need to have a conversation with someone whose work performance is a little subpar. Holy Spirit, how should I approach this? Oh, with grace and love? Okay, awesome. Just include the Holy Spirit in, in, in decisions that you're making throughout the day. It's going to help you center your mind. It's going to help transform you. I promise. And then lastly, in Oikos perspective. So if, if you're new to, to First Baptist Hanford, uh, we have this thing called the Oikos principle. And the idea behind it is that at any given moment in your life, God has placed 8 to 15 people for you to share the gospel with, for you to do life with. And that changes as you move, as you change jobs, as you have kids, like it changes. But who are those 8 to 15 people? Because God has placed them in your life because you are the only person who has that relational equity with them to be able to say, hey, can I tell you what God's done in my life? And I want to tell you, he could do incredible things in your life as well. Because when you start to see the world with an oikos perspective, then you start to embed yourself in this understanding that, okay, God is at work in my life. I have a divine understanding of, of the world around me and what's taking place. So just three things that I think honestly would help us to, to have that uh, perspective. Now here's the thing. I covered, um, I covered a lot regarding people who, who have faith, but maybe you're here this morning and you're like, okay, I, I don't have faith. But, man, I feel like God's been stirring something in, in my heart. And I'm starting to see that, okay, maybe Jesus is truly who he says he is. Maybe I really do want to follow and, and see what this whole Christian life is about. And if God's stirring something in your heart, I want to encourage you to explore that. And if maybe you, you've been here week after week, and just God has all of a sudden revealed, hey, I am who I am. Follow me. We'll give you a mo uh, an opportunity in just a moment to, to make that decision to follow Jesus with all that you are. But for the rest of us, let us begin to, to see the world with a divine understanding that, that you are placed here for a reason and act on it. Don't be like the guy on the, on the side of the freeway who was just completely oblivious to what was happening around him. Be the woman who saw Jesus for who he was and anointed him because he is the Messiah. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, God, you are worthy of all of our praise, of all that we are, all of our worship. So God, we we give it to you. And God, this, um, as we begin to look at the passion, as we begin to look at the suffering that your son endured on our behalf, the death that he did on our behalf, God, we are just grateful that you loved us so much that you took the first step, that you have redeemed us, and that by his resurrection, we have this promise of eternal life with you. So Holy Spirit, would you help us to see that you're at work in our lives. You have us in specific environments, in specific places, around specific people to share the gospel with. Holy Spirit, would you help us to act on that? And God, for anyone who this morning, you may have been stirring something in their heart. I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to them. And with eyes still closed and heads still bowed, for those of you who are here this morning or watching online and you're just ready to take that step to give your life to Jesus and to follow him, we have a, a prayer that you can pray this morning. We call it the ABCs. It's simple. If you would, pray it with me if you're ready to take that step. God, I admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And B, I believe that Jesus is that Savior who has died on my behalf and who has given me life. And see, God, I choose to follow him every single day. So God, we thank you and we love you. And we pray all this in the name and the power and the authority of your son, Jesus. Amen.